Welcome back to the Odd Numbers podcast. I'm Jack Siggs and today's guest is Elspeth Merry. enjoy it we covered a fair range of uh, topics here from how a publicist can fit into a major labels team having worked at island records herself for some time and now owning her own company spoke a bit about sigrid and their relationship spoke about flow and how they're doing right now as well as getting into the difficulties of getting into this industry um, especially when you kind of don't know what jobs are available to you beforehand If you want to hear more about what Elspeth is working on, you can check out her website, which is artistsway.co.uk. For more on what we're doing at Odd Numbers, it is at underscore Odd Numbers on Instagram. Anyway, without further ado, this is Elspeth Mary. So Artists Way is a creative music publicity agency, um, which started almost two years ago now. Um, kind of a baby of the pandemic if I'm honest um I worked at Island Records for four years and and loved it and grew as a publicist there but the pandemic came around and I was offered another job as head of press at um a publicity agency and went and did that and I realized very quickly the role wasn't what I wanted it to be and I think because I didn't have any distraction any holidays any like oh, the work's okay, but, you know, I'll go out this evening and, like, forget about it. Because we were just confined to our to our living room and working, I just had a lot of realisations during that period and read an incredible book called The Artist's Way, which is what I named my company after. Um, and it's by an author called Julia Cameron, and it's a creative recovery book. So it's a 13-week course, and it's about kind of, I guess we have a lot of excuses as to why we're not living our truth and this book really like hones in on them and you put really good um practices into your daily routine so there's an exercise called morning pages which is essentially you wake up and you write three pages of a4 about everything not even conscious writing like i want this to i want to read this back and think i'm a genius just like all of my worries on the page Um, And when I started doing that, I just had a lot of realisations and thought I could now go and do this on my own. I've built a really good reputation at Island Records. I've built an amazing roster. And I guess the beauty about publicity is you're kind of a periphery person in the music industry and you can move around and, and take your clients with you it's it's less contractual like we own this record it's more based on a handshake love relationship with the artist and management so I remember I called up Louis Bloom the president of Ireland and said if I go independent Louis will you support me and he said of course we will of course yeah sounds great it's great you should do it why didn't I go independent um yeah do it and I was like okay great <laughs> and, that, and that was it and just called up all my all my clients and they said of course we'll support you so 
yeah went went on that journey and you know starting a business there's so many more elements of like setting up a limited company how do I want my brand to look like what's my kind of manifesto all that stuff and and yeah it's been two years of really hard work but working with some of like the most incredible artists so I feel very lucky should we do a cv or, <laughs> roster like let's talk through who you're working with at the moment we don't have to go into detail yet but but just i was checking out your website and there's some great names on there yeah so i've worked with sigrid um from day one and she was the first artist that i ever led press on so that's a very special relationship that we've built over six years now um so sigrid um holly humberstone who I started working with at my previous company and we just grew together as well. And I think my favourite part of publicity is the development kind of before everyone knows their name because that's the hardest part. Um, and then Flo, the history-making girl group of, of, our, of our times. Um, yeah, I started working with Flo a year ago now and it's been just a, a wild year and some incredible accolades to kind of round off like an amazing introduction to to the world so yeah and then more enduring names glass animals who had their arguably their biggest year with heat waves which became a record-breaking song um and then i've worked with masego who's amazing for many many years benny um and a couple more Loads more. 21, to be precise. Joseph. <laughs> and Joseph. Gosh, Joseph, who just got a number 18 album in the OCC, which for an independent artist is amazing. And he's just been doing his own thing. And, like, the, the vision, he is so meticulous, so to the detail, which is incredible. Sometimes, you know, difficult when you're working on a shoot. But it's amazing because the execution and and his idea of who he wants to be like is so firm and it's amazing working with an artist like him now let's rewind somewhat so you started out in journalism at the sunday times is that right yeah well i so i did a degree in journalism and had always wanted to be a writer writing my first love and always looked at writers like George Orwell and I guess it was i was very much like trying to be a freedom fighter like expose injustices and I was interning at the Sunday Times um, on the news desk and really felt very out of my depth. Like, what am I doing here? <laughs> but very quickly, like, I had, um, I had ties to this, like, fashion organisation called All Walks Beyond the Catwalk, which was about, um, I guess, the fashion industry propagates an image of, like, a very unhealthy image to women. And it was all focused on body image and I really resonated with it so I reached out to the founders and spoke to a couple of amazing people in fashion one of which was a casting director and she had emailed me whilst I was at the Sunday Times saying she had been fired from a job because she asked about diversity on the runway and said you don't have any models that like aren't white this is ridiculous and she got fired so I remember having that story and knowing that I needed to pitch it and I was so terrified to go to the news editor because I'm just an intern. And then I gave myself until midday that day and I was like, I'm going to do it, work myself up to do it. And he was like, this is great. I'll partner you with this journalist and go and investigate. So that was the first story that we got underway. And 
was amazing. It was in page three of the Sunday Times. It was about racism that exists in the fashion industry. We interviewed some amazing women for it. Um, and then they asked me back and back again. But I just, I never had a story as good as that one. Um, I did. And all the other news reporters were kind of coming up to me in the like tea room being like, oh, page three, because you're all against each other. Um, but then I, re- I, I think I went to the Great Escape Festival because I was still doing some music journalism for a publication called 1883. And that was when I just, my eyes were completely open to what this industry is who what all the roles are like who is involved and just thought I need to be a part of this um and I interviewed I think the Kaiser Chiefs at that festival and some like flight um a band who I've worked with for many years as well and that was just the the start for me kind of meeting managers agents and being like how is that a job that just sounds so fun um so that was my start so then I really started focusing on music journalism you obviously work across the board um, genre-wise, but when you were growing mm. up, like, what sort of stuff were you into? Where did you grow up? <laughs> so I grew up in South East London, in Lewisham, um, and at 14, I entered the indie music scene, uh, the local scene, which seemed to be run by one band. They were called the Metros. I don't know if anyone will remember them, um, but we were so young. There was a group of six of us, and we would follow this band around and follow this band to squat parties. And it was like skins, but before skins, it was just, there's one video that exists online for this toilet factory. And it was literally a Victorian toilet factory. And we would go there, we'd have school the next day. We would arrive later when my mom would leave for work, like have an hour's sleep and then go into school and try and like thread a needle in textiles class while still high. <laughs> so we were very much immersed in this scene and, and there were some amazing bands. Um, and we, you know, Reading Festival at 14, 15, like go and see Foles. Like it was, yeah, it, I think we loved the local bands. When I think of like the huge bands that I loved at the time, like it was very much just like local in terms of my own music education with my parents, like my dad loves Motown and Northern Soul. So it was, yeah, like Smokey Robinson, Jackie Wilson. And then my mom was a salsa teacher. So it was Latin music, <laughs> salsa in the car, like all of these, like, and and in that, I guess a lot of J-Lo, I'm a huge fan, like at, at the time. So it was a real mesh, but there are a lot of, I think guys in my life that came in that really like introduced me to like the the Strokes, massive fan, like Fleet Foxes. Um, so I think it was very, yeah, a real mesh. But I feel like growing up in inner city London is that. <laughs> um, and I think just on the point of, you know, following boys and bands around when we were like 14 or 15, like, I think I realised that I wanted a reason to be at a show. I didn't just want to be there because... I was in love with the lead singer. I was like, I'm going to be here for a reason and I'm going to be working with these artists. And I guess the term like groupie is just, it's it's a term that I like often think about and how women are perceived. And But I think a lot of the time women become muses and inspiration and like band-aids for these artists who are very fragile. But I think for me, I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work behind the scenes and always wanted to be behind the scenes, never ever wanted to be on stage that is 
yeah a big no but I, th I think it's incredible that we can support these people that have it in them to get up there and and yeah wow people it's exciting I think a lot of people have that experience where they're like at a show but they're like I could be I could just be stage. <laughs> I could be like yeah not? yeah um cool so you finished so you were at Great Escape we're starting to work more for 1883 mm -hmm. then how did you get more from the journalism side into the publicity side it was a, a friend of mine introduced me to Chloe and Adrian who run Inside Out um, and I wasn't getting anywhere with regards to like earning money with music journalism like I had to be very honest about that I think I kind of was a music editor of um, this magazine and didn't get paid anything. So, you know, I understand my privilege that I lived in London. So, you know, I didn't need to earn a lot of money to pay rent so I could do it. And I think my dad, because I was living at home, was just like, are you ever going to get paid? Yeah. I thought, I don't know. So then I did some freelance PR work for this really random, like, interiors company, um, whilst I was doing that I got introduced to Clone Agent and they were like come and assist us so I assisted them for three months and that was it that was that was my routine and I mean they have an amazing roster from Christine and the Queens to Robin and and yeah I just got to to learn everything that Chloe and Adrian were doing and they'd built this PR company over like I don't know like I think it must have been like seven seven eight years old at that time um, and they had both come from major label backgrounds. So I was there for two years and, and started bringing in my own independent clients. But I realized very quickly that in order to fully work with the like global superstars, you need to go and work at a major label. And I think after two years, I really just wanted to build my network. Um, and and I think there was there was a lot of serendipity with regards to like who I met being out and about um, networking and a friend of mine had just started at Island Records so he introduced me to Shane O'Neill the living legend who had who has been at Island for 26 years um, and he was looking for a publicist and his second in command was leaving after six years so this was quite like this was there was a lot of luck with this that the fact that there was this opportunity and I had found Shane at the right time and we just got on the phone and immediately connected on so many, so many levels with like how we, how we wanted to serve and support artists, like our love of journalism and storytelling. And I came in and that was it. We met and he said, okay, come be a junior publicist at Island. And that was really where everything changed. And I just, on my first day, I remember just going to sit in the press corner and there's an amazing creative called Charlie Drinkwater who kind of built Studio Island, built like, you know, the brand Sigrid, like from the start. And I was just sat with him with all of his references on the wall and he would just ask me, what do you think of this? Do you know any photographers here? And I was like, yeah. And I just loved that. It was like moments of connection and like every everyone was sharing ideas and everyone was roughly the same age I think I was 24 25 so it was all firsts for everyone 
So the core Sigrid team, we were all doing this for the first time. So there was that level of excitement that's hard to replicate the older you get. You still get that buzz, but I think with Sigrid, it's, you know, it was like the first time she played Shepherd's Bush, the first time she played Glastonbury, the first time, she, I mean, she won the sound pole. So I've still got a video on my phone of when we found out on the radio and it's just the whole office going bonkers. Um, so there was a lot of, there was so much joy during that period. And it's, it really felt like uni. It just felt like you were coming into work to talk about music with your mates. And I think we've all kind of moved on and realized that was such an amazing time capsule that we'll always remember, but like, it can't stay like that forever. <laughs> You've briefly mentioned the highs there. What mm. sort of lows do you experience with press? Is it, you know, I feel like mm. with artists themselves, they obviously have to deal with missing an award that they really wanted or, mm. you know, not getting clearance on something. What sort of ups and downs do you feel like you have? Mm. Well, I'd describe PR as like, it's the high highs and the low lows. Like when it's going really well and you have positioned an artist in a way where people are connecting and everything's moving in this huge tidal wave and you're saying no to opportunities it's it is great but the other side of that is just shouting into a void and trying to get journalists to to care about something and and that's really hard it's like with publicity it's not like marketing where you get like a certain budget and you're like right use this money to go market this artist like publicity it's not it's an exchange of people it's the connections that I've built with these writers, photographers, like editors over eight years. And it's the trust that they have in me to, to tell them about something that they're like, okay, we believe that you believe in this. And that's why I guess with PR, like reputation is so important and pick being able to really like pick the artists who mean something to you because journalists can really see through it. And I think when you're working at a major and doing PR and you're just handed something it's difficult if you don't connect with it because people can see through it so I guess it's not what's the word a meritocracy where the harder you work the more results you'll get it's like I could send a pitch today and that pitch might not the the it might not come about for months the person might not get back to me and then suddenly they do and you're like oh my god it's amazing so yeah how do you manage expectations with artists? And do you do that differently now than you did when you were at Ireland? Oh my gosh, yes. I used to like, I used to promise the world. Yeah. I'll never forget being in a meeting and saying, we'll get an ID cover and being like, I've shot myself in the foot here because <laughs> we're not going to do that. <laughs> so now it's it's very much an, an education in how the press landscape has changed and how we're really looking for quality um, pieces and looking to build enduring relationships with journalists and artists and finding those champions at the beginning and I think I do a good job at, at getting certain writers invested from day one so they carry these campaigns through and carry these artists through their careers and you look at Sigrid and she has writers that still love her as much as they did years ago and a lot of that is the hype that I'm building or the stories that I'm telling them, the photos I'm sending them, like the anecdotes. It's like, yeah, maintaining those relationships is is one of the most important things in PR. And I forgot what the question was. <laughs> How do you manage expectations? I manage expectations, yeah. yeah. And, and I think, like, I am quite brutally honest now. I think I've earned the right to be really honest. And when I take a 
client on like I'll be like this is what we're realistically going to get in a year and with I mean sometimes you can set objectives with flow it's like Rob who manages flow who I met at Ireland like I think my like third year there and we locked eyes in the elevator and we've been in love ever since (laughs) um and at the time we lived together we are in our our shared home um we love intense relationships um but at the time yeah he was always saying you know I'm I'm gonna work with this girl group and gonna work with this girl group and like everyone was like yeah whatever 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 and now it's like he's finally got his flowers and the girls have and they've been working so hard for like three years and the objectives were like with us like we do dream big we were like we're going to win the Brit and we're going to win the sound pole and we said that I remember we used to share an office together and we sat in this like little office just like that was so shit like no heating we didn't even have a window that opened and it was when like I remember hearing cardboard box for the first time and like looking at the flow logos and we're, we're like it's gonna happen and it and it has so I think you do have to be slightly delusional as well to like imagine the unimaginable and with Flo that has happened because you know he has helped these three girls like meet each other he's created the space for them to, to develop and grow and you know that sister bond is going to keep them working for decades. <laughs> I'd love to talk about probably quite boring really but but how you feel you slot into the label team now because you've said you you said earlier about being on the periphery and I kind of understand what you mean there Mm. but like on a day-to-day level are you in planning meetings how do you how do you feel that your role slots into the greater infrastructure yeah well I think I think that press is always is always like the foundation obviously like the the music is but the story is just becoming so much more important and I think they're a and R and publicity are on a, are on a par in a certain extent because you're looking for the story in the song and the lyrics, and I'm looking to pull that out and create the wider story of like the human behind the art. So I think because I've worked at a major, I really see the value in in collaborating very closely with everyone on the team. So. I'm I mean I'm often in island planning meetings you know we have core meetings for flow and you know every, every I think you like you have to be there because like so much of it is like what is the messaging on this or oh god that came out we need to address that and so you are you know as a publicist you you are this like voice within the media for these artists and they have to entrust you with their story which you know like means that they have to trust me and I think that like sometimes you know I'll write quotes for artists and like be that person and like understand them fully and be like I can talk like you know on on your behalf because they trust me too so I think it is a really important role within labels and I know a lot of labels have out of house press now because you know there are a lot of amazing independent publicists there are just so many incredible companies that have brilliant rosters and I think it's maybe one of the only you know radio plugging's the same but when you have a roster of artists from like lots of different labels coming together and complementing each other as a kind of like my company logo is a is like both a family crest and a shield to shield everyone against you know the industry bullshit so flip it 
can be like join the family of artists way and I look at my roster and obviously genre wise everyone is so different but I think in terms of what they represent there's like a fearlessness there's an honesty there's an intelligence there's a like certain lyricism like I think these artists that have more to say than just you know this is my music and that's what I think of now when I'm taking someone on because I'm like this relationship could go on for many years so like do I fully believe in you from day one and if the artist is willing to work harder than everyone else it's like yes I do want to I do want to yeah I think my mantra was like serving the art and the music and the story instead of like the ego and I think maybe the further along you go in the industry there's like a good think there are times when you need to kill your own ego because I think a lot of executives think that they're more important than the artist and you know we just need you know an artist changes every day every year and like you know they're human beings they can be burned they can you know have off days where they're having a fight with their girlfriend or boyfriend like you have to be that person that support system that's like I'm putting you into this environment because I think it's for the good of your career. Another of your ventures is Her Hustle. Do you want to chat about that, how that came about and, and what you're kind of aiming to nurture there? Yeah, well, so Her Hustle, going back to what I was saying about like serendipitous meetings, me and my best friend and, and other housemate, Emma, um, I think we both got to like 25 and had like a court life crisis. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we would have these like long dinners and just talk about the fact that like, we didn't under like we're like how did we get to where we've got like we just did not know what was on offer in our careers like I had no idea what jobs I could do in the music industry she was in journalism she had no idea what like jobs were were available to her and it was just like trial and error and we were like there just needs to be a platform where like young women can come can come to for like a live event or like online and just really see how women not necessarily executives but like middle kind of you know me at 25 being a publicist like what's she doing day to day what does it mean to do what she does so we built her hustle as a reaction to like a personal feeling that we had been very lucky that we'd had these coffees with people in in positions of power and a lot of women don't have that so we I spoke to Universal and I really, I'd been involved in like their Elam mentorship scheme and I really wanted to like have Universal back what we were doing and they did and we hosted like some amazing events at Universal and we worked with charities, urban development um, on bringing like kids down and, and just like listening to women from across the creative industries, from fashion, we even had like a food event Um music and yeah we did like I think we did about six or seven live events and the final event literally a few days before lockdown was at Soho House it was like this huge undertaking Mahalia headlined had amazing panelists and it was like we went out with a bang because everything changed the week after and we suddenly were like how are we gonna pivot like we have an events company also for me it was a side hustle it was 
music was my first love and like what I was doing day to day and I was doing her hustle outside of that I think it made me a better publicist and like a better mentor definitely but during that period it was hard because we went into doing webinars and Emma was full-time and um I think we came after like a year of doing webinars we were we both just lost the joy in it and we were like well this has taught us how to build a business we got some like investment and you know, we took it kind of as far as we saw fit and we realized that we both needed to focus on our own businesses so since then Emma has built her incredible like organization sex talks and I built artist way and I think with her hustle it's like it exists within us as like more of like an ethos of like this is these are the women that we want to be and it's kind of brought into a lot of my work because I think that there's you can do publicity but you can also make things happen and a lot of artists I work with like want to do things in like the charitable sector like Flo want to start a flow fund and I'm like how can we help you do that um I've also just taken on like the incredible East End troubadour that is Hack Baker and he has so many ideas about how he wants to bring up his community and speaks about you know I really see his community as his muse and he will stop at nothing to empower everyone that he's grown up with everyone that is working class everyone that has I guess is voiceless and he like, I want to help him like he's already he called me up like I've got this idea and this idea and this idea so it's like now I just have this notes on my laptop it's like all the hack ideas that we will try to make happen but I think yeah it's, it's very much like a part of me it might not be like an active business now um but it I guess I guess it prepped me for building artists way so no regrets on yeah that and I think that's there's also power in knowing when to stop and knowing when to say we've done everything we could possibly do here and we can actually walk away saying what we created was amazing and actually there's so much onus put on longevity and sometimes some things just short sweet and amazing and then you move on (laughs) you seem so involved with the projects you're working across like i know that's an obvious thing to say but it's true um how do you find balance and how do you protect yourself Mm. from the fact that there's there's constant demands and attention that that is a constant work in progress I started therapy last year. I think everyone who works in music should yeah. should do it. And yeah. I and I you think get sponsored by better. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think boundaries is really hard, and it's something that I'm trying to be more conscious of now because I think when you run your own business, you could work every second, God sends. You could work every minute. Like I could leave my laptop open and work all evening and. There is, I mean, I think you really need rhythm and structure in your day. And I think the delineation between like, um, I guess, like having breakfast and working during the pandemic was lost. And it was so hard to be like, when do I start? When do I stop? So like, I've just actually started working from the amazing Young offices, which is like 15 minutes from here. And they've, I mean, their office space is amazing. They've got the studios downstairs, Foundation FM, think Sanford Studios down there and then they've got like all these incredible meeting rooms like an amazing canteen with free lunch like all these like amazing member benefits but even I've only been in two days a week and already it's like the structure like don't look at my laptop before 
no, 9.30, get in, open it, and then try and close it at six and then go home and try not to look at it. But publicity is like you're on the front line, so anything could happen at any one moment. And I'll never forget like being in Malaga and someone calling me up like, this has happened and we need to sort it today. So I was just walking around the city like, hey, that's what we're going to do. Crisis management. Yeah. Um, but then also, I think because you build such a, as you say, you're so ingrained in like every part of the project and build these relationships with artists it does become personal if you you know if you part ways and it becomes I guess there's this like limitlessness to working with an artist where it's like until the day they say they don't want to work with you anymore until the day they decide they don't want to do music you're there you're that person um and I think yeah I stopped working with a band who I'd worked with from yeah for like a couple years and I found that really difficult to to navigate and get through because I guess it's like not only were they like a project that I'd invested so much time but they were like my best friends so that was really hard to suddenly say okay this is business it's not personal but I think music is always personal because it's this emotional relationship we have towards the song and towards like being in those environments where Know, artists playing live at festivals and as that like ecstasy it's like I guess I've realized that I used to just be so grateful for being there like oh, I'm so lucky I'm so grateful that I'm at this show at this festival and now it's like no I, I I work and I get paid to do this and I should yeah I I deserve to be here and like, I don't have to just be grateful to be here like I've earned the right to be here so that's been a shift probably turning 30 changed a lot <laughs> enabled me to move I guess further away from being like this is a professional relationship um and you know with Flo it's like they're 21 and 20 like if I was that age I could be going out with them like do you know doing all the stuff that maybe I did back in the day but now it's just like they're so young and they're like it's amazing because I can look at it as like a decade in between us of like I've been there and I've done that and you know just being that like you know guide or mentor through like all of the stuff that's that's difficult like photo shoots and interviews and like just yeah I feel like trust is the most important thing and it's yeah trust and boundaries <laughs> I'd love to talk I'd love to get your advice for firstly young publicists or people that are looking mm. to get into the industry because that's really what this is about but also for young artists actually let's do it artists first so You've spoken about how the, you know, narrative storytelling is still really important, but I feel like mm. a lot of artists probably because of playlisting and social media where you can kind of construct your own narrative, probably put press a bit further down their list of priorities. How have mm. you kind of thought about that? And do you think it's misguided or? Um, I, I think that artists can do so much like, you know, on their own now and they can, you know, build a fan base that's what everyone's trying to do at the end of the day build a fan base and build fans that are going to stay with you for your career and you can do that on tiktok you can do that on social media like you can do that at live shows but i think it gets it gets to a point where you know you are so busy with everything else that ultimately you need an expert to come in and say right you're being offered these 10 interviews we should do two of them or being on a shoot, like actually these photos would work and these didn't. It's just having, you know, in the music industry, having an expert in all of the different spaces around an artist. I think 
artists are inherently collaborative. They don't want to do this on their own. I think they want to bounce ideas off people who have been there and done it before. Um, so I think I, I think you could argue that the press landscape is changing, like, you know, prints dying, like there's not as much space online. But, you know, every biog you read on Spotify profile has been like commissioned by a publicist because they thought okay, what writer is going to tell this story the best? And that's, I guess, why you're paying me with my network because I can say, I know that you'll have an amazing conversation with this person and they'll pull out elements of your story that will help the radio pluggers, that will help, you know, the commercial teams going to DSPs. And I think there is, you know, Spotify are doing more and more, you know, editorial and podcasting. And I guess, Speaking of podcasting, it's like that's a whole new realm of long-form journalism. Like, our job is to try and get artists on podcasts and, you know, pitch to producers. And I've commissioned some amazing, like, podcast episodes and series. Like, I've worked with Sigrid on her tearjerker series with BBC Sounds and BBC Three and, like, really helped set that up for her. And now, you know, she's the BBC are coming to her with ideas and they also have a really brilliant podcast called BBC Music Life where they'll get four artists on to discuss their creative process and Sigrid hosted one with Phineas, Maggie Rogers and the guy from Roy Shop and it was amazing because the main overarching messaging was normalise boredom, it's important to be bored to create (laughs) and they were all talking about the pandemic and how it just got them into a really good creative headspace because they didn't have to worry about all the other stuff that comes along with being an artist now so it was like is this what it was like in the 70s where you just like write an album go on tour and then go away yeah (laughs) yeah um cool so let's move on to young potential publicists Mm -hmm. what sort of advice and tips and guidance would you give those people who are maybe let's say 17 18 thinking about getting into or older Mm. actually who really yeah I think like reading is so important it's like if you love reading about artists like reading music books you know not going to say like read the newspaper but I think if you really have an interest in like how an artist is telling their story like listen to podcasts like I think that like if you love the written word because ultimately like you will be writing a lot like you'll be writing pictures you'll be writing press releases like if you yeah are really good and persuasive with your words and also being like a really good communicator and socially you know publicists are the ones that are at all of the events doing the red carpets like you have to be social and assertive and I think I've had to teach myself that because I was definitely shy growing up and like very much introverted like just liked writing writing and I've been almost forced out of my shell and I'm really happy that I have and I think that you know cold cold emails dms like people everyone likes their ego being massaged and you know I still do it now it's like if I love reading a piece that someone's written about an artist that's similar to an artist I'm working with, I'll tell them and be like, I really love this piece. So I think, I think you're going to really like this album. Um, so it's kind of doing, doing that research as well and seeing like what writers are writing about your favorite artists. Like, could you DM them or message them or, you know, tweet them saying you love that piece. Like, I think, yeah, 
as as is all of the music industry it's a people industry and your network is one of the most important things and I really realized that leaving Ireland that everyone I'd met in Universal and before like those relationships come back to you when you're doing your own thing and people might just think of you one day like oh she'd be good for this and it's how like hack came about my good friend Eve who no, we've always wanted to work together. She was doing um, A&R publishing at AWOL. She's now at Polydor, but before she left AWOL, she was like, I've just got this record and you have to hear it. And I was like, okay. And then I remember being on holiday and just listening to this album, which is, is coming this year, and being like, I have, I have to work this. I see it as like, this is an important record for Britain. Um, and I just knew I had to do it. So yeah, I think... I, not to quote Obama but I will I just remember something he always said which was just like the best piece of advice to young people is like be kind and be useful and I do just think like you know some people can get on their high horse and really belittle people in this industry but I think if you're like willing to work eager and you're really like great on set in meetings and and you're curious like I think yeah it come it comes back around you mentioned kind of being shy but introverted growing up. How did you develop that confidence? Do you think, was there mentorship involved? Because that's mm. part of what Odd Numbers is doing, is mm. mentoring uh, Nick and Kieran and mentoring people. I think I've had like un- unofficial mentors. Um, I mean, firstly, getting over my shyness, I did waitressing whilst I was at university and I was forced to go up. I'd be handing around like canapes and the manager would be like, you have to go and ask them if they want one. And I was like, no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like no. Um, so so that really helped me. Um, but then, you know, finding like incredible like allies within this industry, it's like, I think like, you know, I'm, I'm such a feminist and women's advocate, but I also need to say like, there is there have been so many men who have supported me like Shane my old boss like he just brought no ego to anything and just wanted me to grow and he was an incredible manager and I think everyone who worked at Ireland during that period would say the same thing about him if if there was ever a problem you'd go to Shane and he would he would be that ear because he had he'd worked in the industry for 25 years he'd seen and it's that thing he's like you're so worried about the situation right now but he'll know that in a few years you'll be fine and forget this ever happened and I think I used to have quite a yeah a big reaction to really bad reviews and used to get really upset and cross and he was just like it's not worth calling them it's just not worth it because you're going to have another artist that's going to need their support um and, and also darkest like when I worked for him when he was president of Ireland like he really saw everyone who worked there no matter if you're an intern or a manager like he just he like would come and sit in our press area and be like what's everyone having for lunch then and like like I remember I wanted to play him this artist and because I went to a lot of shows and he would see that and he'd be like come and like play. he'd be like why haven't you sent me that and I'd be like well I don't he's like come and play me the song and tell me what song you like and he was like if you don't ask you don't get and I just like always remembered that and really loved working for him because he just made he was a leader that made you feel like you wanted to work because it was really enjoyable so yeah I think like finding those people who can just you can call up and be like help me yeah 
Let's chat about a bit of music before we finish up. Mm-hmm. Um, I see you've got a collection of records over there. Are they yours or are they not yours? Because that will change what I ask. They are mine. Okay, cool. <laughs> I think we should choose three of those for you to for you to shout out because I'm going to put a playlist together. Um, are you? Songs, yeah. Okay, amazing. Well, when so when you work at Universal, you actually get access to their entire catalogue and you get £30 a month and you, we used to save all our money up to the end of the year and just go crazy on like box sets. That's so sick. So um, one of these I need to pick is my favorite, one of my favorite records of all time, George Harrison, All Things Must Pass. This was one of, I think it was his first solo record that he recorded in 1969, which is an era that, well, a year that I wish I was alive for. Um, and this was actually one of the amazing bot sets I got whilst at Universal. So there are so many goodies in here. It's just, yeah, all, ev- everything you could possibly want from. I haven't actually opened this bit. Um, the Apple Jam, <gasps> side six. I'm gonna have to, have to play this tonight. But yeah, this is one of my favourite records of all time. I think George Harrison was, you know, he wrote something, arguably the best Beatles song. And I think when you listen to his solo stuff, you're like, and you hear the stories that he would play his stuff in the studio. And then (laughs) Paul and John would be like, sorry, no, we're not going to use that song. So I feel like a lot of these songs he probably wrote whilst he was in the Beatles and then finally got his chance to release them. So this is one of them. Um... This one, I think my dad gave me this, Motown, Four Tops, Greatest Hits, 50 pence. And they're 50 pence. If only it was, they were still 50 pence. If only. um, I also love that it says, like, it's got a little sticker that says Mick. So Mick used to own this. Mick, I hope you're still listening to Four Tops, Greatest Hits. Maybe Mick's streaming now. Yeah, he's streaming now. Um... This is always a good one to put on if we're, you know, having dinner, parties starting. Um, And then I did just want to pick a Sigrid EP, vinyl, because it was so special to just be such a big part of, like, this project coming together. And I still look at the stickers and remember Charlie being like, what colour stickers do you think are good? Or, yeah. like, do we like the stickers? Should they have, like, a bit of a crinkle in them so they look like actual stickers? Um, and this this was... Oh, I can't... I can't... I need, I must ask Charlie. This was taken in, like, a very famous artist's house that they got access to with Sigrid running across the sofas in her converse. Um, yeah, the kind of what she's known for, you know getting on stage, wearing stuff that's, like, only practical to her because she's like, I need to run around. Yeah. I can't be in a... in a. What's that quote? She feels like Hulk when she's on stage. <laughs> that was so good. But, yeah, she, she is the incredible Hulk. Indeed. I can attest to that. Um, and then, yeah, just... This is, like, one of my favourite records, Suffin' Stevens, Carrie and Noel. And, oh, my God. If I want to come home and cry... I'll just put this on. It's a good, it's a good record for Is that. Is that quite common? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's good for you though, crying. It's good for yeah. you. Yeah, so. I think I, I do, I do feel things very deeply yeah. and do like sit in my feelings, and I think that's why we're drawn to music in the first place and working in it because 
of how this affects us and how how it just put like it's a soundtrack to our lives it's like with any traumatic thing that happens or any amazing thing that happens I'll put on a song and like link it to that moment and it will just make it feel bearable <laughs> I imagine yeah. that's part of how you and Sigrid get along so well she seems to feel things too everyone feels deeply you know what I mean she seems to feel things deeply yeah and and I think that's the beauty of being a songwriter is like you can turn your heartbreak into something that's gonna help so many people it's like we can you know when you're doing publicity it's like you can do like a a thousand word feature but sometimes the most effective um I guess effective route to to change is literally a three minute song it's like it's the best form of communication and I think that's why yeah it's why I'm constantly like if I'm ever out of my head and think what am I doing with my life I just go back to like listening to the song I'm like okay I understand now because this song's gonna gonna do something they're like mini like books I'm an avid reader and it's just like like mini like moments of empathy like every time you listen to a song you can empathize with the story and I think going back to Hack Baker like I think we are from like totally we're both from London but like totally different sides of like the track and I think I think of Hack and I'm like I would never have met a person like this or you know if it wasn't for music that like brings us together and I think racially too with Hack's music like he's a proper East Ender you know his mom's Jamaican his dad's um, from Grenada and He's this kind of like, we call him a free island man because it's like he's from the Isle of Dogs, Jamaica, Grenada. But he brings together like people from all races like at his shows. And I think for me, like being able to do some research and look back at what bands like the specials did for like conflict in this country and the 80s when like unemployment was at its highest and the song Ghost Town which was written for like, you know, mainly the Afro-Caribbean population of men who weren't working. Um, and I look at the music hacks writing and it's like about brotherhood, about male vulnerability, about all of his friends being heartbroken men, but acting out through violence. Yeah. It's like he really gets gets to that in in his music. And I think, yeah, it's it's so important politically because... I read a piece the other day by an amazing writer called Rebecca Solnit about climate change and the fact that we need better storytelling with the climate conversation. We need artists to come forward and, you know, talk about it in the language that, you know, they can communicate to fans because it feels so over there and so complex that we need, like, a funnel. So um, I think musicians have the power to do that. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, that was me, Jack Siggs, chatting to Elspeth Mary. As I said in the intro, if you want to check out what Elspeth is working on, it's artistsway.co.uk. She works with some other amazing artists, um, a lot of whom I'm sure will be blowing up over the next couple of years. And for more on what we're getting up to, including content around this episode, check out at underscore odd numbers on Instagram.